listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. So we've asked this question for the past couple of weeks, and we'll ask it again this morning in just a slightly different way. But if heaven came down and lived in you, what would it be like? If heaven came down and lived in you, what would it be like? First, how would you know? What would your life look like? So consider that for a moment, just as you're sitting there. Again, you don't have to answer out loud. But what would it be like? How would you live? How would you know that heaven had come down to live in you. But more specifically this morning, the question that I want to ask and that I want us to answer together is if heaven came down and lived in you, how would others know? How would others know? Because the past couple of weeks, what we've done is we've gone to heaven and we've defined heaven as relational beauty. Heaven is going to be lots of things and we see it all throughout scripture But we've gone to heaven and we've seen the relational beauty of the Trinity that has forever been, that will forever be. But right now we see the relational beauty of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit interacting perfectly, beautifully among each other. Then last week we saw where that relational beauty was extended to us as his creation. And he calls us into relational beauty, in community with himself. But not only are we called to be in relational beauty with the Trinity, but we are to be conduits of relational beauty to others. And so heaven is relational beauty with Christ and with others. Relational beauty with Christ and with others. We also asked this question last week. And I want to consider it again just for a moment, but what is your source of life? Where are you going for your source of life? And you can consider the past week, the past month, maybe so far this year, and maybe even you want to consider, maybe consider how you came in this morning. I think that might be helpful. But where are you going for your source of life? For many in the room, maybe that the way you came in this morning is you had an overwhelming sense of anxiety or disappointment or inadequacy or shame or fear or some other negative emotion or feeling. Maybe this morning the way that you came in was overly positive. Maybe your kids are doing well. Maybe you just got a raise at your job. Maybe you realized you had more money in the bank than you, maybe you sold your house. I don't know. Maybe this morning you came in really positive and hopeful that some of these things are going to happen. But can I tell you, friend, unless this morning you came in and your hope is something, is in something other than Jesus Christ, eventually that thing is going to leave you empty. Because as you came in this morning, there's a really good chance, a good chance that if you came in with a a negative feeling or emotion, it's because the source of your life was from a, a contaminated place. Where you're going for your source of life was a contaminated source. Here's what Jeremiah chapter two says. 
in verse number 12. We're somewhat familiar with Jeremiah 2.13. But notice what he says in verse number 12 right before. He says, be appalled, O heavens. What are we talking about in this whole series? In McDonough as it is in heaven. So God is speaking to the heavens. He's saying, yo heavens, y'all know. Watch out, be appalled. Now this is wild, this is crazy. Be appalled, oh heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed not one, but two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And secondly, they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Again, I said there's a good chance you could be coming in here with negative emotion or over, overwhelming sense of guilt or failure because your place, your source of life was contaminated. But maybe not. Maybe you're like, man, no, I'm just, I'm burdened for my children. I'm grieved over my neighbors. I'm physically in pain because of something that I cannot control. Can I tell you this morning that the invitation is into relational beauty. And Jesus Christ doesn't say, if you come to me, then boom, everything's gonna be fixed and you'll never feel anything bad again. What do we see Jesus before he goes to the cross? Is Jesus like, well, gotta go to the cross now. All right, disciples, here's what's gonna happen, but you know what? Think positive thoughts. This is really gonna stink, but I can't, I can't experience negativity. No. He's sweating drops of blood. He's identifying with us. In our grief, he identifies with us in our shame. He identifies with us in our sin. He became sin for us. So the invitation is not into having everything fixed and better. The invitation is into relational beauty with Jesus Christ. He invites you this morning, whatever you're holding, whatever you're bringing, whoever you are, whatever your struggles are, bring it to him. Bring it to him. He wants to be, and he offers himself as your source of life. We see that in several passages. These will be up on the screen. I'm not going to flip to every single one of these. John chapter 4, sorry, John chapter 1 and verse number 4. We see this as relational beauty with Christ and with others. This is life with Christ. This is life from Christ. John chapter 1, it says, in him was life. Whenever you all see the word life, let's say that together. You ready? In him was Life and the life was the light of men. John chapter 4, a little bit later, he says, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. A couple chapters later, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He continues in chapter 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And like David said earlier, the devil hates you. The devil hates you. That's powerful. I was with Kingston last night, and uh, he was wrestling with some things. He's sitting right here, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. He's my seven-year-old. And he finally, we were laying in his bed, he, he finally just said, I hate sin. I said, yeah. I said, next time you feel that temptation, that pull, that draw towards sin, I said, say it then. 
Say it loud. Scream it like you're screaming it now. Because the devil hates you. He comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have just a little bit of it. No, have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. Chapter 14, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. First John chapter 5, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Philippians chapter 1, Paul echoes this as well. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And then he says in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So friend, the invitation this morning is not into a better life. And the invitation is not for you to ask Jesus to come in and make your life better. The invitation this morning is into life. The invitation is into life. Relational beauty with Christ and with others. In McDonough, at your address, where you work, as you're sitting here in your seat this morning, as it is in heaven. Life with Christ, life from Christ. So we've already seen a couple of ways that the invitation is here, and I, I mentioned these. The first ways, two weeks ago, we saw that this is in our personal lives. Your greatest desire is for the presence of Jesus. That's your deepest desire, whether you recognize it or not. That's how we were formed, how we were created. We'll see Genesis chapter one in just a minute. But your greatest desire is for the presence of Jesus. I was talking with um, someone this past week in our body, and they said, what do you think hell is going to be like? Do you think it's actually going to be fire? Or do you think it's just going to be separation from God? And I thought, if hell is just spiritual separation from God and not physical pain, we're kind of okay with that. I think I, can, I think I can manage hell. The reason is because separation from God is not the worst thing in the world because the presence of God is not the best thing that we can imagine. So what's your perspective of hell? That might help you define your perspective of how great the presence of God is. You see, you see, a relationship with Jesus, and we saw this in our personal lives, a relationship with Jesus is not like an ATM. Most people, by the, say, by the way, say ATM machine. It's like a VIN number. No, it's a VIN So it's, it's an ATM, okay? That's for free. You don't have to title on that. So most people think it's like an ATM. If I show up on Sunday, then I get the blessing of God. Money in, money out. Stick your plastic card in the ATM, you get your cash money out. If I give my money to God, to the church, then I receive health. If I spend time reading the Bible and in prayer, then I get a certain feeling. I get a certain amount of peace. That's not a relationship with Jesus, friends. 
A relationship with Jesus is more like a garden that is meant to be cultivated. And it takes time. And as you cultivate that, we're weeding out our sinfulness and our selfishness and our pride. And we're seeing the fruit of the Spirit take root and grow in our lives. That's the aim. At the root of spiritual habits is desire. It's surrender. I can't change your desires. I can't. But if you desire more of the presence of Jesus, you must make space for him to speak to you through his word, through prayer. You must make space to sit and to meditate on the word, to memorize the scripture, to be filled up, to grow in your reliance on Jesus Christ as the bread of life, as the word of life through fasting. You notice how many of the words here that we just read through are physical, tangible reminders? Because us from our Western thought, we want information. We want logos. But if you notice even Jesus there, as he's speaking, as John is writing, he's speaking through John. Even there, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. We can smell freshly baked bread. We can feel living water. We can see a cornerstone. We can see a, a rock. We can see a sun. We can see these things. We can feel these things because our need of Jesus, it affects every single part of our bodies from the inside to the outside, every single part. And Jesus says, I want to satisfy every single part of you. We must make room. Secondly, we saw the invitation into life is for you personally, but it's also for us as a community. It's for us as a community. And we saw that, and we know this, that we are broken, that we are defective people, we're messed up. But even in the middle of that, the goal for community is not to say, man, once I get everything figured out, then I will be acceptable and I can step into community. The inverse of that is, once this person gets this stuff figured out, then they are welcome into my community. Because the goal, listen, the goal is not to make life work. As a church, as a community, the goal is not to make life work. The goal is love. That is the foundation of the body of Christ. That is the foundation of your relationship with your wife, with your kids. It's not, hey, you perform, you do these things, and then you can experience peace, and then you can experience freedom. No, your identity is in who, you, who I say you are. You are my son, you are my wife, you are my husband, you are my father, you are my spouse, you are my neighbor. And I'm living out of that. The same is true with us. The Father accepts us in. He speaks life and hope over us. And then he communes with us based on who he says we are. Not based on how we live to earn that acceptance. So here's a, a simple test that you can do. For a moment, if you have your spouse in here, uh, if you don't, you can look over at a friend or you can look at somebody who you've been wanting to think this about for a long time. But I want you to look at, maybe look at your spouse. And I want you to consider, just for a few minutes, not, not minutes, <laughs> uh, we'll have to, we'll be booked on counseling after that. But just for a few seconds, think about the flaws in your spouse. You can look at them. This is, you look beautiful, babe. And I'm having a real hard time thinking of any. Um, but think about the flaws in your spouse. 
Think about what you wish was different in them. Think about the ways that they've made you mad this week. Think about the ways they've disappointed you this week. Think about unmet expectations that you've had of them this week. Some of y'all are like, I can't, I don't want to make eye contact with them. Now what I want you to do is I want you to either physically look up or close your eyes, and I want you to think on heaven. Look to heaven. And what do we see there? We see the grace of Jesus Christ. We see his mercy. We see relational beauty. We see the Trinity not trying to one-up one another. We see those who are in heaven, who were rebels, who were sinners, rejoicing around this throne of grace. We see Jesus who identified with us, who now intercedes for us. We see peace. We see love. We see compassion and kindness. That's what we see when we see heaven. Now look back at your spouse. If your response to them, once you see and understand and are living in heaven, if your response to them is still, how could you? Who do you think you are? What in the world were you thinking? Instead of, I want heaven for you. Then friend, you may not understand the grace and the mercy of Jesus. I want heaven for you. When was the last time you said that? When was the last time you thought that or something along those lines? What does heaven look like in your home, in your family, with your neighbors, with your coworkers? Heaven looks like you becoming a co-lover with the Trinity for the sake of others. And instead of saying, how could you? What, were you? what in the world? What is wrong with you? You say, man, I want heaven for you. You're like, I don't know if I can do that. You probably can't. But guess what Jesus has given us? The Holy Spirit. What does he say? Heaven is being built here today, now. Heaven has come down. And it is inside of you. I want heaven for you. Most of us would say, man, I want heaven to come down and be in my wife, <laughs> in my husband. Man, if they were experiencing heaven, if Jesus were inside of them, my life would be so much better. So Jesus can, I don't, I don't, really, I don't really want heaven to come down and be part of me, but I want heaven to be, come down and be in her, in him. But what does 1 John chapter 4 say? We saw this last week. If we know the Father, we know love. What does Jesus do? He lays down his life for us, even while we were still sinners. That's community. That's a loving community whose eyes are on Jesus, whose minds and whose hearts are in heaven. And we're looking around, like in Matthew chapter 6, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The will of the Father is for us to love each other in community, in relational beauty. Man, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be nice? Hmm. The third thing that we see, and this is where I want to land this morning, 
is on mission. This is relational beauty on mission. Go to Isaiah chapter 6. This will be up on the screen. But if you want to go to Isaiah 6 with me, you can. The first eight verses. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. This is Isaiah writing. High and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. How much of the earth? Just the heavenly part? The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. For I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Man, what a beautiful picture of mercy and grace. Isaiah here, he saw heaven. And notice how he responds in verse number eight. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah's response, because he saw heaven, because he experienced relational beauty with God, he experienced his grace and mercy. He said, then I said, here am I, send me. I want this relational beauty, the grace and mercy of Jesus for others. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. That was his response to heaven. Friend, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you are part of his kingdom, the question is not if you should go, but it's how and where. It's not if you are sent, but it's how you're sent and where you are sent. Because a full room, here at South Point, a full room does not equate to a fulfilled mission. The mission of God is not for these four walls. The mission of God does not begin or end with us. A full room does not equate a fulfilled mission. As a church, we are not about Seating capacity, we want to have that. But our greater vision, our greater hope is about sending capacity. We're only here for an hour, hour and a half, if I go a long time. But when we see heaven, and what would heaven look like in McDonough? We are sent to those that we spend the other 166 and a half hours in our week with. That's where we are sent to go to them, to others. We started with some of these passages. I'm going to jump through just for a few minutes. But we began in John chapter 17. We moved to Ephesians chapter 1. We saw our identity. I want to go back to John chapter 17. And, and this is right here. So even in the context of oneness in the Trinity with the Father, with the Son, us becoming a part of that, notice what he says here. John chapter 17, beginning in verse number 11. He said, this is Jesus speaking. 
right before he goes to the cross. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them, he's talking about us, his disciples, keep them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that's Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He says, go, have your joy fulfilled. Live your best life. Life is never going to be difficult, right? We got to keep reading. A text without a context is only a pretext for a something text. He says this, Verse 13, but now I am coming to you. Oh, verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. What's he of? Heaven. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Satan, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. What are we of? Heaven. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Had a couple conversations the past few weeks. It's, it's like, man, I know this. I know it in my head. Why am I not living this? Why am I not feeling this? Why am I not experiencing this? Why does my life not look different? That's the process of sanctification. It's the narrowing of the head and the heart. I know this to be true. My heart's not believing it. Sanctification is those two things getting closer and closer together. How are we sanctified? In the word, verse 18. As you sent me into the world... So I have sent them into the world. What's our identity? If we are part of heaven and being sent. That's missionaries, right? Talking about missionaries? No. He's talking about us. And for their sake, for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. In other words, expect to be hated like Jesus if you are bold for your faith. If you're not hated by this world, are you acting like Jesus? I don't know, it's real tough. Maybe. But don't avoid hatred because you'd rather live an easier life. Ephesians chapter two, we saw this, we saw in Ephesians chapter one, the identity statements, but notice in Ephesians chapter two, he continues. So the identity leads to this as our missional identity. I'm gonna skip around chapter two. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world. This is us, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, against Satan, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the, mess, like the rest of mankind. He says, this is who you were. We jump down to verse number eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is heaven come down to earth. It's not about you, for we are his workmanship. You hear that? You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which Christ prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So in verse number one, you were walking in death, by verse number 10, you're walking in life. Notice verse number 13. But now in Jesus Christ, what does this walk look like? Well, the walk of Christ was pursuing rebels. What does our walk look like? Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace, 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. Blessed are the what? The peacemakers. Not the peacekeepers, by the way. Not those who are already in a time of peace and they don't start war. But in the midst of a war, they bring peace. He says, verse 16, Am I reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility? And he came and preached peace. He preached it. He proclaimed it. He preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. The walk of Christ is the pursuit of rebels. And this actually is not just a New Testament concept. We saw it in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. It says this. So this is even pre-fall. This is a pre-fall mandate. Then God said, uh, sorry, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The Imago Dei, verse 28. What's the mandate there? So from the beginning, we are to multiply. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. From the beginning, we are to multiply image bearers. For us today, we are in the church age. What's the mandate from Christ for us today? Matthew 28. We'll go there. Matthew 28, he says this. This is Jesus. Right before he ascends up into heaven, he says in verse number 20, sorry, verse number 18, he said, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in where? In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, based on heaven's power, and heaven's authority. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In other words, from the very beginning, we are to multiply image bearers. Christ said right here, his last words to us, he said, multiply those who are in relational beauty with the Trinity. Go and multiply. My aim, my mandate, my command, my commission has not changed. It's for the world to know heaven, the beauty of Christ. And notice in verse number 20, what does he do to ensure that? He says, I'm with you. Don't worry, guys. It's not up to you. I'm with you to make sure that it happens. Ephesians 2, not your power, but it's by God's power, by his grace. So I want you to consider your life this past week. We looked at this list. Or consider what life in McDonough looks like. On the left side, I picked some of these things that life looks like in McDonough. And on the right side, I put what these things may look like if heaven came down to live in us. We all go to work. We see work being good in Genesis 1 and 2. Go to work so that you can create. That's how you were created by a creator was to create. Go for the betterment of the city, of other folks. In our parenting, where do we see a beautiful picture of parenting? In the Trinity. We have Abba Father. There in parenting, we have comfort. And I would say in parenting, we need to define what success is for our children. 
That's going to help us define what successful parenting is. Entertainment. Understand, entertainment's not bad, but if we're in heaven, we understand that we're a part of a better story. Our spiritual habits, it's a time with the Father for you in your personal life, not just on Sundays. Friends, you're your experience of the presence of Jesus is not based on whether my sermon is good or not that week. It is up to you to spend time with the Father. In heaven, we'll view our money as being, we'll be stewards of that. We also understand that the Father has an endless supply so we can be generous. Your view of marriage can be one of sacrifice and love and procreation, not selfishness. Our evangelism, you know what we see in heaven? What's happening? They're heralding the good news. They're proclaiming, here's who God is. What is evangelism? Evangel, that means to herald. It means to proclaim. It's like, well, evangelism is not going to happen in heaven. They are proclaiming day in and day out. Friend, you are evangelizing those around you towards something. You are discipling your kids and others around you towards something. In heaven, it's going to be toward Jesus. We're going to be hospitable to those who are on the outside. Our community is going to look like those who are adopted, who, are brought, who's, who have been brought in. That's where we see the one another's in Scripture. You're going to see your house as a resource from Jesus of in heaven. You're going to see your rest as a reminder of Christ's work. Next, we're going to see your, your past as being forgiven. And there's going to be a pursuit of healing there if you're looking at that from heaven. Your thought life is going to be from Philippians 4a, true, noble, right, and pure. Your emotional health, even if it's on a really bad day, you can still be filled with a glad and peaceful heart, even in the midst of despair and anxiety. Your education, not about let me pursue the best so I can get the most money, but it's to know more and more the story of God. In traffic, you're going to have a chance to build patience. On social media, you're going to be on Jesus' top five, top five friends list. Remember that from MySpace? That's a little throwback for the old folks. Uh, in politics, we're not serving a donkey or an elephant, but we're serving a lamb. Your play is going to like team sports, not board games. Stop inviting me to those. Your conversations are going to be opportunities to proclaim grace. Lastly, your hopes in heaven are going to be for others to enjoy his beauty, to enjoy his beauty. Friend, whatever you do, as we know that we have been sent as those who have seen heaven, whatever you do, do it well for the glory of God. But do it strategically for the mission of God. Whatever you do, do it well for the glory of God and do it strategically for the mission of God. We saw this last week. John chapter 15, Jesus, again, he's on his way to the cross, and he tells his disciples to abide, to remain, to sit, to rest in him. Notice what he says in chapter 15. In verse number 12, he said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. What does heaven look like on earth? It looks like the cross. It looks like sacrifice and love and the source of mercy and grace. Notice in verse 13 what he says here. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. He says, you are a friend of mine. I'm laying down my life for you. But then he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Notice in verse number 16, he says, you did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Whatever you ask in my name, he may give it to you. Man, all right, so let me make out my list. And then 
Here's what I need, what I need. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It's guaranteed, right? It is if you are abiding in Christ. And if you go to heaven, and if you see your life as being part of that. And if your goal and mission is the same as Christ's, and that's heaven on earth, that's in McDonough as it is in heaven. If you abide in him, you're going to love others in the way that he loves others, in the way that he loved you. And then whatever you ask in that pursuit of heaven on earth, he says, you're going to have it. You want the apostles' prayer to come true? Then pray it. It is coming true. And the invitation is for you, friend. It's also for your neighbor. It's also for your brother and your sister and your coworker. It's for the person right over here who you haven't even met yet. That's the invitation of the cross. The most clear picture of heaven on earth. Christ extending his hands and welcoming us in. He calls us to go to love. If we abide in his love, he promises his kingdom to come. If you notice, if we go back to chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, it says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this love, by this community of love, by the relational beauty that we have here, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. How is McDonough going to know that heaven is real? By our sacrifice and by our love. This is how McDonough will know that heaven is real. This is how McDonough is going to know by how we sacrifice for them, how we have relational beauty with Christ and with others. Man, wouldn't that be beautiful? Wouldn't this next week look different in the way that we spend our time and our conversations and our money? We have a great, event, we have a great opportunity in front of us, South Point. The culture all around us, in your home, at the school, as people walk up and down this street, the culture all around us is looking for hope, love, meaning, purpose, significance. It's looking for a life that matters. It's looking for that. And we have the good news for them. We have the good news of Jesus. So may we be a church that looks at Jesus until we look like Jesus. Heaven on earth. We celebrate this morning, this meal that Jesus implemented just before some of these passages that we read here in John. Friend, our need for a savior is tangible. Even this morning, maybe you can feel it. It's almost palpable. You look back at this last week, you're like, man, every part of my being, my thought life, my hands, my feet, my words, my eyes, every part of me needs a savior. And so Jesus didn't just throw a book at us and say, here you go, here's some information. He came in the flesh. He said, you don't even understand how great your need of me is. I'm going to step down from heaven so I can engage with you in the flesh. Man, what a great need we have. But what a great savior we have. 
And what a great time of celebration we have. As we take this piece of bread and we stick it in this juice, it's tangible, it's palpable. It's a reminder of our sin. It's a reminder of our Savior. And it's a reminder of that sanctification, that pursuit of holiness. It's a reminder that we have the Holy Spirit in and among us. It's a reminder that we have the presence of Jesus promised to us. So as we partake in this, this is for those who have placed their faith in Jesus. We have four stations set up around the room. May we remember the sacrifice of Christ. We can repent of our sin and we get to rejoice that one day we are physically going to be in his presence together forever. Friends, he invites us even today into life. So respond to that in faith. You're invited to join me in this meal.